The views and opinions expressed on this platform are of me, myself, and I, not any agency I'm affiliated with. So please do not take what I say personally. Because I have some downtime and I have been on that little hiatus for a couple of weeks, but I'm going to go ahead and release this bonus episode. It's from a listener that I, you know, mad respect and appreciate and in general, I like the suggestions and I like the commentary. I like just feedback in general, but I'll attach the YouTube video, but they sent me this video and told me, I'd like to see your real world feedback on what you would advise for a bystander to do in this situation. And then what you would do coming onto the scene and what questions you would ask any witnesses or those involved in, and there's two females involved in the video. And it's assuming that the cops didn't pull up and it was just regular people. And if you, if you have a second, I would recommend going back, watching the video, go ahead, start it at a minute 29. Um, Cause the, the first part just kind of gives like the backstory of what's going on. Be advised that after a couple of minutes into the, into the video, um, there is some strong language. And as you have probably observed by now, I don't condone foul language on my podcast. So with that, um, in the video, the officers get there and there was a person on the sidewalk. We're going at this that it's just bystanders who pull up and there's no first responders, anything like that. So my suggestion, number one, first thing you do, you call 911 before you do anything else. And especially if there are other people with you, you got to look someone in the eyes and tell them to call 911. Even in the first responder realm, if you just shout out an order without specifying someone to do it, giving someone that job, if you will, it won't get done. So have someone call 911. And again, like I said in the what can the layperson do episode, have them give the specific location, what the event slash emergency is, the number of people involved, any other pertinent information that the dispatcher is going to ask you anyways. The only reason that this event was or this emergency was discovered so fast was because it was it was actually a police chase. But if this like just happens in front of you, the first thing to do is actually not to run to the vehicle like the officers did, especially as a bystander, even a first responder who isn't on shift, but like rolls up on this, you have to be vigilant of your surroundings. You know, there's kind of like this, you know, common sense aspect with caution playing into it. So, so if this happens in an intersection, like you see those crazy videos of car wrecks, there's going to be other cars that they're going to be zooming by. They're not going to be paying attention or they're going to be so distracted watching what's happening. You could get run over. If it's a back road, someone's going to come around a curve and you can get run over. If there are too many bystanders on scene, it gets congested and people like they start to kind of take over and talk over each other. And again, kind of that whole thing of not giving someone a job to call 911. No one, nothing's going to get done. On top of that, also, you never know what's happening inside of the vehicle. Like, I mean, it, this is morbid, but if there's a fire that's already starting in the vehicle, you just running on up in there, like there's about to be an explosion. Like you have to be cautious with common sense. So after you call 911 and then you approach, but cautiously, like in this situation, the vehicle's on its side in the video. 
And honestly, I wouldn't even say you should really go near it because it, it's not stable. The car could easily have rolled over on those officers in the video as they're dragging that lady out. So like, you know, you, you just, you got to be super careful, super cautious because by you trying to help, you could create more victims and more patients, which is more of a strain. Also, also another thing to think about, what if someone in that car had a gun? Because like, I know a medic who was on a scene of a terrible wreck and one guy who was unconscious and they're waiting for other responders, he came to and pulled a gun out of his pants and aimed it right at the medic's head because he was so confused of what's going on. That's terrifying. And on top of that, if, if they have a head injury, like they may be confused and start panicking or become agitated. And I know of another situation where bystanders called in a person that had kind of veered off the street in a town. And when they went to go check on the person in the car, there was a gun in their lap. And like they were unconscious. But I mean, obviously you're worried about the person in the car, but your own safety is vital. It's It's the most important thing, even for us, I would say on scene, like on any type of call really we're worried about whoever we're taking care of but also our safety is important too so keep that in mind but going from there if you feel like you can or should approach while someone is on the phone with 911 still check to see the status of the person or persons in the car and as these officers did if a bystander can check to see if someone has a pulse that's the most important thing in that moment if you don't know how to do that, you can follow along with me. Take your index finger and your middle finger and place them together. Imagine like the Hunger Games, but with just the two fingers. Bring those two fingers under your jawbone and apply a light pressure. I'm literally doing it in this moment. That's where the carotid and I would say the most important pulse is. Sometimes, depending on a someone's, we'll say stature or their neck size, it may take a second, but that's the general location if you don't know how to find it. And if you press too hard, you're also going to feel the pulse of your own fingers, which has happened on different cardiac arrests before that the person's been dead for a long time and the officer is like, oh, I have a pulse, but it's not. They're literally feeling their own fingers pulse on that person's neck. If you push too lightly, you won't be able to feel anything. You can even do the same thing on your wrist under like the thumb part of your hand. Go to your wrist and it's kind of the area closer to your thumb. So if they don't have a pulse, move them out immediately and start CPR. This is kind of where it gets a little uh, uncomfortable for some people. The best way to do CPR, especially if someone does not have a pulse and you're looking and they're not breathing, I don't care what gender or what they assume to look like. You got to rip open their shirt and you get your hand, you get it to where it's like the palm part, like the, if you bend your hands, it's the most firm part of your hand if that even makes sense you put that in the middle of their chest and you push hard and fast and you do it as many times as you can we don't even we don't even preach anymore to do mouth to mouth because one it's gross two the person may throw up like you just you do your cpr that is the most important thing if they don't have a pulse move them out start cpr however comma if their head is missing or if there's something in their chest or something that kind of determines that not only are they dead, you got to leave them because it's kind of a crime scene at that point. And is it hard to hear that and even say it? Absolutely. But there's part of that. That's just part of it. There's so much time that's going to pass by the time EMS arrives 
to if there's extrication required and and then getting that person to the ER and then the OR some people and it's hard but they're just not viable it's just it's not going to work and it's a strain on resources but if it's just that they don't have a pulse I would say even with a significant amount of blood loss get them out and start CPR because some things can be reversed I'm not saying that every time we roll up on a rack and somebody's dead we just don't even try it there's certain circumstances that if they look like they're not going to make it they may not make it and it's not us determining fate it's a matter of sometimes first responders we just we prolong death sorry that's really morbid but I mean I'm just being honest if they have a pulse but they're not responsive go ahead and listen for breathing and if they're not breathing they're going to lose a pulse soon so go ahead and start dragging them out if you can but notice I didn't say that if they have a pulse and they're not responsive go ahead and drag them out there's a difference the reason these officers did drag this lady out was because of the position that the patient was in again they could have been rolled over from the vehicle and smushed but the way the patient was positioned it was impossible to be able to get in there and feel for a pulse and I'm not saying you need to start dragging every patient out just because you know head neck injuries things like that but I mean it's hard it it's just it's a tough spot because again the head or neck injury pulling them out of the vehicle further risk exacerbating an injury even like if someone is riding a bike and gets hit by a car like if you move them too much there could be internal spinal decapitation from their head to the rest of their body and it's going to further risk injury so it's kind of a tough spot you want to make sure that they're alive but at the same time you don't want to get ahead of yourself and start moving people if they don't need it quite yet but in this video because she started to wake up it kind of helped determine that hey she has the pulse so that's good after that as a bystander even if you're not moving the patient just try to keep them calm because if they're able to move themselves you can have them slowly do that but there's going to be adrenaline coursing through their body and they won't even be able to feel if they have an injury and there are times like wrecks where um like if someone has an open fracture they can't even see it they don't feel it they're trying to walk around because there's so much adrenaline they they don't feel it it's like you're blinded to that injury so and like in this video further in as first responders were trying to put a c collar on the on the lady she was starting to get feisty if you will because she was so confused and it could have been alcohol it could be a head injury whatever it was she's starting to get mad and and then as a bystander you can get punched in the face and that person can further injure themselves and there's so much that can go wrong which is kind of what started to happen and why she ended up getting restrained so if the person's able to move or if they're even willing to at all the next most important thing that could be done in this situation is to move them away from the car because on top of all the other risk factors in this situation the car can explode which is why it's so hard to say don't move that person because of a neck injury because you have the risk of gas explosion gas leaks whatever if you're able to get in there and turn the car off you should be good that's not what I'm saying that this is gonna happen in every single wreck whatever if you can turn the car off you can keep the person in the car you should be good but there's also gas leaks but there's also there's just so many other factors there's also the matter of no matter how many police cars and ambulances and fire trucks are there there's also the risk of somebody not paying attention or being distracted and literally running into the already wrecked car and 
mulling over all the other first responders. It just, wrecks are just, and then just in general, just the, like, bicycle, motorcycle, whatever kind of wreck, pedestrians get hit. They're just kind of dangerous. That's why we kind of move a little fast, not just because of the situation of the patient, but it's the safety factor. So if you're able to move them, get them away from the vehicle. I mean, partially, we need room to work without us being further injured. And in this case, keeping the two women together are going to be vital because one of them was able to give information versus the possibly drunk woman cannot. And you need information to be able to relate to the first responders. And from there, again, keep that person as, as still as you can, as calm as you can, and wait for first responders to get there. Then, like, in the meantime, you can watch to see if they start losing consciousness or if they start to get confused, relaying that to the 911 dispatcher, just so that way he or she can get that information to the first responders, whether it's the cops get on scene first or it's EMS gets on scene first, whoever's going to get there. You can also get some information ready for when first responders get there, like what happened or if this person's able to remember anything that happened at all. If you saw it, even better because it's that firsthand experience. If the patient or the person, whatever you want to call them, if they can't give you a name or anything, you can go check to see if they have a wallet in their pockets or something that identifies this person. Um, If you're able to go back in the car, try to find like a purse, wallet, whatever. But again, using that common sense with your caution. Because when we get there, we'll be trying to figure out what's happened and what's called the mechanism of injury. So like the events that happen, which can clue us into what could be happening to the patient and even what can transpire in the event that things take a turn for the worse. It's also what the ER is going to need to know anyways. This includes things that like how fast was the person going, where the people in the wreck were hit on their vehicles, where they were sitting in the vehicle matters too. It just, there's a lot of factors that go into this. And if we're already given that, I mean, we're, we're golden. It, it helps speed everything along faster. But from the patient, I mean, we need to know, like, I would be asking, like, names, date of birth, if they have a medical history, what medications they're already on. Sometimes it's not just that it's, oh, it's a wreck. Sometimes there's a medical crisis that can cause the wreck or the wreck causes even further medical crises, whatever, vice versa, however it works. There's just, there's a lot of factors in play. As far as when we get on scene slash what we would do, it kind of just taking, taking it from whatever's been going on already, whatever's already taken place. If CPR is in progress, we're going to continue that, but we're also going to be getting IV or IO access, which an IO is an IV in the bone if we can't get one in the arm or leg or neck or wherever we can get an IV. We're going to work at the code for however long, defibrillate slash shock the patient, whatever we got to do. And we're going to do that for either until we get them back or there's kind of a certain amount of time before it's just depending on the age of the patient. And even I would say if they're pregnant, there's a couple of factors in play, but we're going to work them for however long it's our discretion, our protocols. There's a lot of factors that go into that. It's not that we just give up on patients. If we get there and the patient has a pulse but they aren't breathing, we'll put in like a device to, we'll put that in place to make sure that we can breathe for them. Ultimately, if they have a pulse and they're breathing, which is always the highest hope, we'll put a C-collar on them, load them up, and depending on how severe the patient is, 
we may stay and play or we may load and go. Sometimes if we can stay for a second, we'll get an IV, we'll get some pain meds, anything that we can do before we start rolling just so that way while we're en route to the hospital, we can be ahead of things before we're scrambling to do things. And honestly, that's the way like realistically any call is run. Trauma calls are different from 99% of medical calls just because the goal of the trauma call when warranted is to be able to get that person to the ER and then to the OR because it's what the patient needs depending on their severity of injury. Because no matter what magic we can do in the field, if it's a trauma and it's bad enough, that person needs surgery. They don't need for us to get an IV. They don't need for it. They need to get to the ER so they can get to the OR. So it's a good video. It's a good, uh, it's a good question in general. And I appreciate the feedback. I know it's kind of redundant of when I keep saying like, do these things and then keep the patient calm and get some info if you can. But I mean, there's only so much that realistically, like even in a trauma, there's only so much that realistically we can do. Hope that was helpful. Hope that kind of answered some questions. Even watching the video, which I would highly recommend. The bystander versus the police officer. If you just take that little bit of effort and kind of use a little bit of common sense, obviously, with your caution. Police officers aren't that much more trained versus the bystander that does like a CPR course or, you know, just the basic necessities of knowing what to do with what you can without equipment, without specific training, things like that. So I feel like there's not that much I can add to this, but it's a good point. It, it's good feedback. I appreciate the suggestion. That's what I got. So with that. So guys, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, future topic ideas, please email me at 22atthelipspodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's 22 at the lips podcast at gmail.com thanks never stop learning and be safe out there friends